text for this morning's sermon is John 18, the verses 1 to 12. Jesus has just prayed the high priestly prayer. It was in the upper room when he was together with his disciples. Continue at chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back. And fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Easter is approaching. We're coming to that time of year when we remember in a special way the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's appropriate that we continue to focus our attention on the redemptive work of God's Son. This morning we have before us a beautiful text. A text that speaks about the events that happened on the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed. Often people think that Jesus was a helpless victim of circumstances. Yet our text makes it plain that Jesus gave up his life for us, sinful people. It emphasizes that despite Satan's attack, Jesus Christ was in control of his own destiny. It teaches that our Lord freely walked the pathway of suffering in order to accomplish our redemption. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Christ voluntarily allowed himself to be arrested in order to offer himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. 
we'll see Satan's attempted coup, Christ's voluntary surrender, and Christ's preservation of his own. Our text begins by describing how the Lord Jesus went out with his disciples. They left behind the upper room where they had celebrated the Passover. They crossed the brook Kidron and entered a garden. From the other Gospels, we know that this was the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place where Jesus prayed to his Father that the cup of suffering might pass him by. It was a place where Jesus was ultimately betrayed into the hands of sinful men. Our Lord Jesus Christ went through a great trial in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sorely tempted there. Yet even though Jesus was led away from the garden by Roman soldiers with his hands tied, he did not go out as a defeated criminal. Jesus allowed himself to be captured and arrested. He went to his death voluntarily in order to give up his life for ours. It's really interesting to compare the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane with what happened in the Garden of Eden. In both of these gardens, Satan fiercely attacks the representative of God's people. In Eden, he tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, in order to bring them under his dominion. In Gethsemane, he attacks the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to try and maintain his dominion over this world. Satan's goal was the same. He wanted to rule over God's creation. Yet the results of his attacks are very different. For in Gethsemane, he was up against the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christ came into this world specifically in order to defeat Satan, to set us free from his bondage. In the Garden of Eden, Satan slithered into the garden in the form of a snake. He was never invited into the garden. He did not belong there. He was not wanted there. And he came, whispering, his lies and deceit. He came to lead Adam to a tree that led to his death. Similarly, Satan entered the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, he was the uninvited guest. Yet he came with all his forces arrayed in a desperate attempt to do battle against the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text, John shows us how Satan had arranged a powerful force against the Lord Jesus and his disciples. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, but he betrayed Jesus to the chief priests and Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver. Thus Satan had penetrated into the inner group of Christ's closest followers. In fighting a war, imagine you had a spy like this in your enemy's command center. What an advantage that would give you. 
Our text makes it plain Satan had that advantage. Already in John 13, verse 27, John mentions the fact that Satan entered Judas's heart. Verse 2 of our text indicates that Judas knew the place where Jesus and the disciples normally went. He knew where to find them in the garden. Satan uses this disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ to betray him into the hands of sinful men. In the second place, our text refers to a band of soldiers. Often when we read about the rest of the Lord Jesus Christ, we think it was just Judas and a handful of soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. Yet our text uses a specific military term to describe this band of soldiers. It can be translated as a cohort or as a battalion or as a whole garrison of troops. In the Roman army of those days, this term refers to the tenth part of a legion, normally numbering about 600 men. Some commentators argue that it was not the whole of the garrison that came out against Jesus. It's likely that that's true. But we should not forget that it was the time of the Passover feast. All of Jerusalem was stirred up because of Christ's triumphal entry into the city. Although Israel's religious leaders sought to kill Jesus, they wanted to wait until after the feast because they feared an uproar among the people. It would make sense for a large group of soldiers to come out against Jesus and his disciples. We know for certain it was not just a few soldiers. For Matthew tells us in chapter 26, verse 47, that a great crowd with swords and clubs came out with Judas to arrest Jesus. Finally, our text refers to officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. This is the third part of the group that came out against Jesus. These officers were part of the temple guard. They were answerable to the chief priests and Pharisees. The chief priests and Pharisees, together with the scribes, formed the Sanhedrin. They were the religious leaders of Israel. They had a lot of authority in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman governor allowed them to rule over many of the affairs of daily life in Israel. And so we see that Satan arrayed a formidable force against the Lord Jesus Christ. He controlled the might and the power of the Roman army. He used the influence of Israel's religious leaders. He even stole the heart of one of Jesus' own disciples and thus had access to Jesus' inner circle. Satan has masterminded a coup against the Son of God. He's come up with a brilliant plan to capture and kill the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the might of the Roman Empire, the moral authority of Israel's religious leaders, and the betrayal of Judas to try to achieve his goal. This raiding party comes to the garden where Jesus had been praying in the middle of the night. They came with lanterns and torches, 
with swords and clubs. They come to capture Jesus, to lead him to his death. In the Garden of Eden, Satan used craftiness to lead Adam to a tree that led to his death. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan uses force to try and lead Jesus away to another tree to bring about his death. Beloved, I mentioned earlier that Satan's goal did not change from Eden to Gethsemane. In both these gardens, his goal was to rule over God's creation. And Satan's goal is still the same today. He wants to rule over our hearts and our lives. He wants dominion over us now and eternally. And so also today, Satan will array all the forces he can against us. He will use whatever means he can to tempt us, whether by deceit or by use of force. Satan attacks all God's children. He tries his hardest to pull us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, beloved, which of your gardens has Satan entered? In what areas of your life has he built up strongholds? Is Satan active in your marriage, breaking down your relationship with your spouse? Is he working in your family, breaking down trust and communication between family members? Does he use resentment and anger to destroy your relationships together? How is Satan busy in your personal life? Does he use fear or anxiety to attack you? Does he try to make you feel like you are worthless? Is he robbing you of joy, of peace, of contentment in your life? Satan takes everything that is good, that is beautiful, and he perverts it. God has given authority to parents and office bearers and to our government officials. But how often isn't that authority abused? God has given sexuality as a gift to be enjoyed within the marriage relationship. But how often isn't this gift perverted and used to satisfy our own selfish longings? God has given us the ability to speak, to communicate with one another. But how often don't we use our tongues to gossip and slander and ultimately to hurt others? Satan uses many of God's beautiful gifts against us. His goal is always to break down and destroy. Is there a realm untouched by Satan? A place unscarred by his sword? The government, the church, our families, our children. 
How about you and me? We're called to be holy. We were made to be holy. We've been set apart for good works. We are the prized flowers in God's garden. But is there one person who has not felt the foot of the intruder? What Satan did in Eden, he does today. And for that reason, we need to know what Jesus did in Gethsemane. He does today. He reclaims the holy. He will not sit silent while Satan attacks us in our lives. At the right moment, Jesus stands and he speaks. And when he stands and speaks, Satan stumbles and is silent. Brings us to our second point. And we see Christ's voluntary surrender. We see how Christ does not run away from the powerful forces arrayed against him. He takes a stand against Satan. Our Lord demonstrates his power to those who have come to arrest him. Then he voluntarily allows himself to be arrested by them. Christ willingly gave his life into the hands of sinful men, for he knew that this was his Father's will. He gave himself up in order to save us from the power of the evil one. Our text makes it plain that Jesus surrendered himself voluntarily into the hands of his enemies. Verse 2 of our text mentions the fact that Judas knew of the place where Jesus and his disciples often met. Yet the Lord Jesus also knew that Judas knew. Already in John 13, the Lord Jesus sent Judas out into the night to go and betray him. Our Lord went into the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing Judas would find him there. The Good Shepherd is not going to be caught. No, he is going to lay down his life for his sheep. Satan arrayed mighty forces against Jesus to seek him out and capture him. The Roman soldiers and temple guards came with lanterns and torches to search for the light of the world. They came with swords and clubs to subdue the Prince of Peace. What an insult to our Lord Jesus Christ. For the man of sorrows, what indescribable sufferings this must have caused. They came after Jesus as if he were a common criminal, even though he had sat teaching in their synagogues daily. Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 53, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Yet Christ was not afraid of all the enemies that rose up against him. Verse 4 of our text tells us that although Jesus knew all the things that were going to happen to him, he still went forth to meet those who rose against him. The agony that Jesus had suffered in Gethsemane was now past. 
Jesus had prayed for the cup of suffering to pass from him. In the midst of the struggle, he had poured forth sweat like blood. Yet the Father had strengthened Jesus to drink the cup of suffering. So now Jesus goes out to confront the Roman soldiers, the temple guards, and Judas. Our Lord didn't hide. He didn't try to run away. Instead, he approached this devilish band. Jesus said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Judas of Nazareth. Our text translates Jesus' response as, I am he. But the Greek literally says, I am. This was more than just Jesus agreeing that he was Jesus of Nazareth, the man for whom they were looking. This is a statement about who Jesus is. He is the great I am. By answering their question this way, Jesus is showing that he is God. He is the great I am who I am. Which is a reference back to how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. The Roman soldiers and the officers from the chief priests and Pharisees were not just trying to arrest the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. They'd come to try arrest the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And beloved, this is obvious from what happens next. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Imagine this band of soldiers and officers. These were competent men sent on a mission to arrest Jesus. Their hands filled with torches and lanterns, with swords and spears. Crash. Bang. Hundreds of soldiers and temple guards collapse into a noisy pile of swords and shields and lanterns and torches. And you know why? Because they encountered the living God of heaven and earth. Just a few words from the mouth of Jesus Christ sent them reeling to the ground. Beloved, please don't miss the symbolism here. When Jesus speaks, Satan falls. Satan had masterminded a brilliant coup against the Lord Jesus and his disciples. He had recruited all the important players on this battlefield to his side. Yet the best soldiers with Satan's finest plan have no power over Jesus of Nazareth. Satan is powerless against the Son of God. Ultimately, it does not matter who the evil one has recruited. It doesn't matter if he's infiltrated the government. It doesn't matter if he's seduced the temple. It doesn't matter if he's enlisted one of the original disciples. The best Satan has to offer melt as wax before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Many different people appear on the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see Judas betraying his Lord. We see Peter fighting with the sword. We see the disciples with their fears. We see the soldiers and their weapons. Yeah, beloved, the encounter in Gethsemane was not between Jesus and the soldiers. It was between God and Satan. Please don't miss the main message. Paul summarizes it for us in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remember what John said in 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Beloved, our comfort in all the battles we face in our lives is that Jesus Christ has taken a stand for us. He did not run away from Satan in the Garden of Gethsemane. Instead, Jesus went out to meet him. Our Lord knew that in doing so, he would be arrested and led off to his crucifixion. Yet he went forth willingly for our sake. Our Lord took a stand so that ultimately Satan would be defeated. He voluntarily offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Through his redeeming work, we have the forgiveness of sins. By his sacrifice, we have been delivered from the power of the evil one. And so also in our lives, we can take a stand against Satan. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the testimony of the word of God. Through these two witnesses, we can oppose wrong thoughts and instead make them captive to Christ. When we're faced with temptations in our lives, we can overcome them by the might and power of our God. In Ephesians 6 verse 11, Paul teaches us, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take a stand against the schemes of the devil. If we do this, then no matter how great his rage may be, Satan will also be banished from our garden. James said in chapter 4, verse 7, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're willing to take a stand against the devil in our lives. The Lord will help us overcome his assaults. This brings us to our final point, Christ's preservation of his own. In the final verses of our text, we see how the Lord Jesus acts to save his disciples. Jesus again asked the forces that have come out against him, Whom do you seek? Again, they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, 
let these men go. Our text makes it plain that Jesus is in control of this situation. He does the interrogation. He leads these soldiers by the nose. The purpose of Jesus' questions is to make it clear they're looking for him. Since that's the case, Jesus commands them to let his disciples go. Here we see how the Lord Jesus Christ acts as a mediator on behalf of his disciples. He stands guard over the spiritual welfare of his own. Let's not forget that in John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Our Lord knew that his disciples were vulnerable to Satan's attack. Had they been captured at that time, it may have been too severe of a test for their faith. For there were still many things that the disciples did not understand. And so we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus acts to save his disciples. Yet at least one of Jesus' disciples did not take the opportunity to escape. Our text records how Peter drew his sword and used it to cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. We may assume that Peter's intent was not just to cut off his ear. It's likely he swung his sword to try kill him. Peter had previously confessed he was willing to die for Christ's sake. Yet Peter did not understand that the battle in Gethsemane was not with human adversaries. He didn't understand that there was a great spiritual battle being fought. So the Lord Jesus Christ tells him to sheath his sword. Our Lord said to Peter in Matthew 26, 53, do you, not, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Satan's forces had already fallen on their backsides just because Jesus spoke. Had Jesus wanted to, he could have destroyed Satan on the spot. But that was not part of God's plan of salvation. Jesus did not come to earth to establish his kingdom on earth at that time. He says to Peter, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Christ's intent was to do the will of his Father in heaven. His plan was to hand himself over into the hands of sinful men. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and bound. That was part of the way of the cross. And the cross was necessary to save us from our sins, to set us free from the mastery of Satan. Beloved, just as Christ preserved his disciples in Gethsemane, so it is the same for us today. 
Satan is powerless against the protection of Christ. In our text, Christ said that those whom the Father gave him, that of those whom the Father gave him, he had lost none. In John 10, Jesus spoke about being the good shepherd of his sheep. He said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. That's a promise for each and every one of us. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, we have eternal life. No one can take it away from us. When Jesus says he'll keep us safe, he means it. When he promises to get you home, he will get you there. Jesus is able to protect you. For he's taken a stand against Satan. He has won the victory over him. Beloved, as we approach Easter, at times our hearts may be filled with sadness. Sadness that it was necessary for the Lord Jesus to come into this world to suffer and die because of our sins. And yet at the same time, we may rejoice, for our Lord gave himself up voluntarily for our sake. When the most difficult day of his life drew near, Jesus did not run away. Instead, he freely presented himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He was willing to give up his life for our sake. Therefore, in our lives, we no longer need to be afraid. Christ has won the victory over sin and Satan. He abides with us. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. Just as Jesus walked the pathway from suffering to glory, so may we. While we encounter many struggles and sorrows in this life, also, we may look forward to sharing in the glory of our eternal home. Amen.